Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferrance.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progression, Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is episode number 56. This is the last episode before 2021 comes to a close. So I thought if we're gonna do a little New Year's resolution intro, then this would be the time. So let's do it, but let's do it with a twist. I'm actually thinking about making this a challenge. 2022 being on the horizon has got me thinking about my goals, and I thought about them from a different angle than I normally do. I'm not sure what sparked it, maybe some of the conversations I've had with guests recently, but I've had a few goals, big ones, that are for sure a stretch for me that I have continually set for myself for the last couple years. And I've never hit them. And I'm not ashamed to say that because, like I said, they are quite a stretch to hit. So I was on a run yesterday and I was really lost thinking about this goal thing. I was tossing ideas around in my head. I was listening to some random business podcast and they started talking about input and output goals That's not what they were calling them, but that's basically what they were getting into. For those of you unfamiliar with the term input and output goals, I went into detail on them way back in episode 10 of the show. The guest on that show was my good friend, Corey Britz. Definitely check it out if you haven't already. But anyway, I will give you a quick breakdown of input and output goals so that we can keep moving forward. An output goal is what most people think of when they set a goal. It's an outcome or an end result, something like get 1 million streams or lose 10 pounds. An input goal is something that's more measurable. It's more actionable. It's basically a goal defined by the effort. The easiest example would be instead of lose 10 pounds, something like eat X amount of calories per day. Or for a musical example, release a song a month for a year. Now, of course, that alone won't necessarily give you your output goal of get 1 million streams, but it will definitely put you in a position to potentially hit that goal. So you probably see how output goals can be kind of tricky now, right? They don't define the actions or steps that you need to take to get there. They are just the thing. In fact, if you're setting huge goals for yourself that are a stretch of your imagination, they will likely remain that way because your mind can't even comprehend the steps to getting there. I'm not saying that you can't get there. I'm just saying that if you're thinking big, you don't know how to get there in the first place, so you need to figure it out. So let's take a second, let's go back to me and my constant failed New Year's goals. I realized that the only goals I ever set were output goals. I would set huge stretch of the imagination goals, and then I'd get frustrated by my progress throughout the year as it lags behind a bit more with each passing month. Then I thought about the goal I set when I started this podcast, releasing an episode a week for a year. A goal that I hit, obviously, because we're on episode 56 now, and I realized That's not an output goal. That was an input goal. It was measurable and it was actionable. I knew what I had to do to accomplish that goal. 
And like I've said before, hitting that goal was super energizing for me. Now, what if I would have set an output goal instead, something like a download milestone or a unique listener number? I might not have hit that. It would be one more thing I'd be tracking and potentially watching myself trail behind on. So you might be seeing where this is heading now. Hopefully you aren't rolling your eyes too hard thinking about how slow to connect the dots I've been, but here's where I'm at now. I'm gonna take a lesson from my podcast launch goal and not set any more output goals. This next year, I'm gonna set goals for myself, but only clear, actionable, and measurable goals. No, I'm gonna do X number of mixes or make Y amount of money. I'm only going to set goals that I'm in control of. Actions I can take to put myself in a position to hit the milestones that I used to set as my goals. To a certain extent, we're almost talking about setting habits for ourselves that will set us up for success. Don't learn to play piano, play piano for 30 minutes a day. Don't get a hit song with a major label artist, write a song a day. Think about the end result of what your gut wants you to set as your quote goal and figure out what things you have control over that you can execute on that will set you up to hit that goal. Now, this obviously takes a bit more thought. You can't just set a goal and then go about your day expecting it to happen. You've got to do some proper thinking about it and figure out the steps to get there. Something that comes up in basically every interview of this show, right? So with that in mind, you've got two weeks left in 2021. I invite you to spend some time thinking about what kind of input goals you could set that will propel you forward in your career. And I'll actually go one step further. If you're interested in doing this input goal challenge with me for 2022, then send me an email to progressionspod at gmail.com or a DM to at progressionspod on Instagram. That just says 2022. That's all you have to say. And then I'll send you an email on January 1st with my input goals for the year, and you can respond back with yours. There's something about telling people your goals that always makes you feel a bit more accountable to yourself, right? Now, I don't care what your goals are. I'm not going to comment on your choices. I don't care what your hopeful end result is. I don't care if it's one goal, three goals, or 20 goals. Although if it's 20, you might want to rethink your approach. All I want is for you to commit to making actionable input goals for 2022 and to send that list to me. If you respond back to me with that, I'll hit you with a message quarterly checking on your progress and we can be accountability pen pals. Today's guest is producer, mixer, podcaster, and musician Ben Wallach. Ben is currently based out of Jerusalem, Israel, where he has worked with an array of talented acts in both the studio and on the stage. Before the pandemic, Ben was handling bass duties on tour for artist Alex Clare in Israel and throughout Eastern Europe and Russia. When he's not working on music projects or mixes or spending time with family, you'll find Ben running his podcast, Secret Sonics, where he interviews a host of producers and audio engineers. I highly recommend it, so definitely check it out after this show. So welcome to the show, Ben Wallach. Hey, man. Hey, Travis. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's an honor. Yeah, dude, it's great. I love the uh, I love the fact that we've got this like podcasters hanging out with podcasters thing going. With I, I love it. Yeah, with Matt was on both of our shows. Uh, Chris Graham from Six Figure Creative. Now, you're yeah. on my show. I've been on your show. It's it's fun, dude. I like it. I love it. There's a lot to talk about between us podcasters. And I actually found out about your podcast because of Matt. And uh, <laughs> and your podcast is awesome. So. I love that there's like this, uh, I don't know, little community of people that do what we do and also love, you know, music and recording and are also super yeah. into podcasting. So it's awesome. Yeah, no, it, it's it's cool. I, like, I remember when I first started, it's like when you start anything, you kind of have that, um, 
you want to just compare yourself to people, you know, and you're just like, oh, I love this show and I, li- I love this show and you start following other shows and I start listening to shows and I'm like, I wonder how many downloads that guy get. And now it's just kind of like, I want everybody that listens to this show to listen to Secret Sonics, to Working Class Audio. Like, I, everybody should be listening to all these shows, in my opinion. So, Absolutely. I'm all about it. I'm, in, I'm definitely in the, the mindset of plenty and uh, what's, what's the word? I'm blinking on the, on the term, but uh, a non-scarcity mindset, basically. You know, oh, an abundance, an, an abundance, yeah, the, mindset. the abundance of there's an abundance of great podcasts and you should all check them all out and listen to them. And, uh, you know, you'll find yeah. episodes that you resonate with, I think. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you fall behind on like a whatever it is, a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever, that's like the best part is that you, you can catch up later. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's seasons where it's like, oh, I don't have time for all of these. And then there's seasons for like, I need a podcast. I got a bunch of dishes to do. I got a long drive, whatever it is. Totally. And I, yeah. I don't, you yeah, know, you just, I was just going to say that, like, I just super believe in audio. Like, I love, you know, I think YouTube's amazing. It's an amazing place to grow an organic following. But what, what's amazing about podcasting, I think, is the engagement level. Because I think when people are listening to podcasts, they're all in. You know, I know personally when I'm listening to a podcast, the attention span I have for that podcast is super deep. You know, I could just stay focused on the on the conversation and the lessons and you know, when I'm on YouTube, I'm just like browsing other tabs instantly. So I'm all about it. Oh, I, yeah. 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 Well, YouTube's like, it's it's trying to get you to go somewhere else, like halfway through the video. It's got all that stuff down the side. Right. And, you know, like when I'm listening to a podcast, I'm usually like I'm running or something. So there's no way that I'm going to like, unless I don't like what I'm listening to, I'm not going to actively search for a way to change it. I'm going to listen to the whole thing. And if I don't finish it, finish it the next day or something. So yeah, absolutely. It's a great format. <laughs> You know, speaking of podcasters, we're, we're biased, though. Yeah, <laughs> we're totally biased. Well, I mean, I remember yeah. Chris Graham actually talking about this on his podcast about like one day they're going to figure out the social aspect of podcasts and it'll be like YouTube and it'll be much easier to, you know, discover. And here we are like a couple years later and that still hasn't happened. So <laughs> let's see. <laughs> yeah, we, we got it. You know, I just thought we, what we have to do is we got to get like all the podcasters that we know would have some just mess of a uh, just a just a rambling, a bunch of hosts just over-talking each other. <laughs> People will not listen to that. Yeah, but, um, the podcasters anyway, forum. We can do, exactly, podcasting gone wrong. I want to talk about more podcast-related stuff later, but let's, you know, let's do what we always do and like kind of rip through like your career and your upbringing. I, I've stolen a couple things from from listening to your show in the last month and so. Remind me, were you born in the U.S. or did you just go to college in the U.S.? I know you were in New York for a bit, right? Yeah, I, no, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. And I went to college in Queens, Queens, New York, CUNY. And uh, as soon as I wrapped up Queens College is when I moved to Israel at the ripe young age of 22. And I've been here for 12 years. So uh, most of my adult life has been here in Israel, you know, raising a family here in Israel. So I don't really know what it's like to be an adult in America, but I definitely... <laughs> Yeah, my childhood was in America, you know, I was in New York during 9-11, you know, these are crazy moments in my oh, life, yeah. you know, so still feels like home and doesn't feel like home anymore. I don't know, it's like a, it's a weird thing to move to a different country and have dual citizenship, so yeah. It's getting to the point where I'm almost, I've almost been in Los Angeles longer than I've lived anywhere else. Is that how you are with Israel and in New York? You know, not yet. That's a long time. So I've been here 12 years and I was in New York for... I guess 20-ish years. And uh, you know what? I've been in Israel for probably 14 years because I did a year and a half of studying here before I did college. So you know what? Maybe I'm getting close to half. I'm getting close to halfway, you know? (laughs) 
Nice. That's yeah, a, insane. It's a, it's a really weird feeling, though, isn't it? You're just like, I've been in this other place longer than I've been anywhere. It's weird. Yeah, it's totally. But it's home, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, LA's uh, home, you know, to me. My parents are right now, while they're listening to this, just bawling. But... Um, <laughs> What, did you go to school for music? Like where, where, yeah. where does music come in for yeah. you? Like when did you start? Absolutely. So, I, I, you know, I don't even remember how old I was, but at a certain point, my parents got a piano for me. And um, I was taking piano lessons when I was relatively young. I don't even know what age, but I, I, you know, it was kind of like forced on me and I wasn't super interested. And then, you know, in, in middle school, everybody started playing instruments and, you know, everybody wanted to play guitar. And I kind of saw right. this opening in the bass. <laughs> be like, if everyone wants to play the guitar, and nobody wants to play the bass, let me try that. You know, I think that might be cool. And I don't know why I thought that, but it was a good move for me. <laughs> it's really paid off. And now I'm so happy I chose the bass because the bass, I'm such a bass player. Like my personality, what I care about and love about music, rhythm, harmony, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, I chose the bass at the age of like 14 Played that throughout high school, I guess the end of middle school and high school. Um, had a band with my cousin Adam and uh, our drummer Brian was in, so they were both a year ahead of me in high school. And I started like, you know, playing bass with them and doing shows in high school already. And then, uh, yeah, you know, funny anecdote from that, the high school years was, uh, you know, we they, at, at some point we played, you know, another brick in the wall, you know, <laughs> uh, Pink Floyd. <laughs> and... Um, at some event and the principal got so pissed off at us, <laughs> you know, we don't need no education, which was, uh, maybe not the, the greatest move. Hold on. Maybe I'm blanking on what song it was. But that's the song that every middle school kid's like blasting. You know, I think it was also that song. We got, in, we got in trouble a couple of times and there was another time that we played hard to handle by the, you know, I guess not originally by the black rose, but you know, the version we were listening to at the time was the black rose. And you know, it was a fairly religious high school. I grew up in like a modern Orthodox Jewish kind of, kind of upbringing and the principal, you know, rolls in. It's like, this is clearly about sex. What are you doing? And, and uh, <laughs> they didn't let us play that song at the, uh, the spring concert. So anyways, so that, that, that's kind of my origin of playing bass story. And um, yeah, and then I, you know, me and Adam and Brian and we brought another guy in Dave and we started playing music in college. Uh, we had a group called Dink Skullcap and it was kind of like a jam band kind of, kind of situation. Uh, and we played, we played shows, my cousin went to McGill and we played shows in McGill up in Montreal, you know, we played clubs in Manhattan and stuff. And so when I moved to Israel for the first time in a very long time, I didn't have anyone to jam with. And that's kind of when the music production thing began for me, because I actually had friends that, you know, were musicians here, but they were in the army, which is like something that everybody who grows up in Israel has to serve. And, uh, so my, my buddies were not available. And so I just, started dabbling a garage band on my old white MacBook. And one thing leads to another. I'm buying this, you know, the Zoom H4n and I'm figuring stuff out, Logic 8. And then I kind of... Logic 8. Yeah, that that's my beginning. One thing leads to another. I'm buying an interface, buying some like mediocre microphones and uh, setting up shop. You, you know, like it was ridiculous. Like I just... You know, I think you, you kind of came up at the in the era where, you know, you could still get an internship at a studio and stuff. You know, while I was getting started, I was like, okay, I got to get into a studio somehow. And I literally, I called like every studio I could find in Jerusalem and nobody was interested. Everybody's like, hey, this is just me. And then one guy named Rocky said, I'm interested. Come on over, have an internship. And that was awesome. But the studio itself wasn't like crazy active and there wasn't really much for me to do. 
but I made some nice connections. But in terms of actually learning stuff, I didn't learn a ton. I learned, definitely learned some, and I, I owe those guys a ton. Like, they were awesome. But it wasn't like, a, you know, coming up in capital kind of or anything like that. You know what I mean? Remotely like that. Yeah. Can I can I interject? I'm sorry. Please. What's the studio scene like in Jerusalem or Israel? Oh, Jerusalem's in horrendous. Uh, but but Tel Aviv has some amazing studios, which is like an hour okay. away from here. If I was smart, I probably would have moved to Tel Aviv. But I really don't like Tel Aviv, and I really love Jerusalem, so <laughs> uh, I kind of try to avoid that city. But if I was actually a smart person, I would probably spend a lot more time there. But because that's like the hub of the okay. music scene in this country, which is there's a lot of cool stuff happening out there. And I do go out there occasionally. You know, I do rehearsals out there and met a bunch of the Israeli producers. Even I've had, I've had some of them on my show. But yeah, I don't know. In my mind, I was in Jerusalem. So I didn't even think about going to Tel Aviv at the time, which was maybe very right. close-minded. But yeah. So yeah, so I just oh, dabbled you, on my you've own. Made a, you made a place for yourself. Uh, yeah, so, small little, yeah, small little place for myself. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. So I wanted to go back. I wanted to ask you, you said that your personality matched bass. So what, I mean, I, I kind of understand what you're saying, but what what personality is a bass player? What personality? I mean, I, I would, I don't want to like paint a totally It's not a loaded question. I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, what, I, th- like, I th- what made you say that? I mean, I think it's the same thing that makes me like a decent music producer. Uh, it just, I have the artist's back, you know, I'm, I'm the backbone. I'm, I'm there for supporting, I'm the supporting role, you know? I'm the I'm yeah, the under I'm yeah. the underpants of the band, you know, keeping things supported and uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just came up with that now, uh, but but like that's great. I love it. Yeah, or the or a bra, whatever you want. You know, either way. Um, and um, I don't know. I like to I like to help people be front and center, but I don't necessarily want to be front and center. So, and I I just love how it bridges the you know the the rhythm and the and the harmony like you know between the kick and the you know the rhythm guitars or whatever else is happening. Um, so it's kind of like a bridge, a musical bridge. I feel like that's what being a bass player is about. And it's usually, you know, people that are really into the music, but not necessarily into being in the limelight or, you know, being, I don't know, an overly, you know, overt personality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I, I've had this kind of ongoing, I don't know if it's a joke, but every time I have a bass player, they also always happen to be like an MD, and I'm always like, "Why do bass players make yeah. great producers and MDs?" And it's all it's all that kind of backbone, like you know, supporting the band type of answer. But so I just I had to yeah. on the uh, on the bass thing. But yeah, I mean, I think there there are obviously great MDs that are drummers or you know guitarists, maybe less often guitarists, but you know, and and piano players and stuff like that. But <laughs> definitely, <laughs> yeah. I, and the, I, I and the other question that uh, I've kind of off topic and just totally breaking your story up. But the other question that I had is I heard, I don't know if this is like, you know, something that people talk about. I've heard that there are loads, you you said a lot of your friends are were in the military because everybody serves. I've heard that there are loads of like perfect condition vintage instruments over there that the military has like upgraded their bands and like they have tons of just perfect stuff. Is that is that a is thing? That is tr- that true? <laughs> I don't know. Who'd you hear this hey, from? Have you encountered stockpiles of of perfectly conditioned vintage instruments? No. You know, I was actually in the communi- telecommunications corps when I was in the army. Uh, I served, okay. They drafted me for six months, and it was like literally handing out radios and stuff to people. I didn't see any instruments. I have friends. Some people that are like phenomenal musicians in like high school will get drafted into either the army band or they'll get like a special permission like also some athletes will get this like special permission to also do rehearsals and 
because they, you know, the army thinks that they have a career, like a future in this career and they don't want to like waste as much time, you know, in the military. Because for most Israelis, it's a long, like, you know, three-year stint. So I have a friend that was, that was like, you know, a musician in the army. And I have a couple friends that were either in the, the, the army band or the rabbinical band. There's like a bunch of different bands inside of the army. But I don't know about the musician, the musical instruments. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I can't remember who told me that, but somebody was like, yeah, this like warehouse is full of just like perfect. <laughs> like you know, Selmer, like Gretsch saxophones. Kids that are like, have only been played for two years. And anyway. Oh my God. Uh, maybe I would that love, I would, we'll that, that sounds like an amazing, <laughs> you know, detective story. Like I, I you know, I, I have friends that do this podcast called Israel Story where it's kind of like, you know, serial for, or not really serial. I don't know. I don't know what would be like the, uh, you know, a story, you know, based podcast, but in Israel. And maybe I could tell them about that. Could be an interesting piece. I don't Perfect. Know. Sounds good. Yeah. Back on track, back to your story. You're living in Jerusalem. You were, where did I cut you off? Well, so uh, yeah, I was interning at the studio and I, I was waiting tables and I was just mostly just learning how to do my own thing in my little bedroom with, you know, Logic 8 and my H4N. I didn't really have enough things going on in the studio. So I kind of just set up shop, you know, it's like, okay, I guess I'm going to, you know, start a business recording people when I had zero business recording people literally in my bedroom. And so I recorded people that I knew. I remember the first time somebody, I had no idea who they were, came in and recorded. And that was like insane for me. And I did this, it was like, um, it was like a, uh, a wedding reception band. And I did like this crazy recording in about four hours. And I was like, okay, I guess, you know, maybe I could do something with this. And it was probably horrible. I, I should try to go find it somewhere. Um, and I made a little EP of my own music, which I is on Spotify, but you probably shouldn't listen to it because you'll be embarrassed about the way I worked, you know, 11, or I'll be embarrassed about it, you know, from like 11 and a half years ago. Yeah. So th that was kind of like, there were, there've been a lot of little small periods. And then I drafted into the army and then I kind of formed a wedding band. And uh, yeah. And then I was in the wedding band for a long time. And then... At a certain point, I realized that I just really want to be in the studio for the long haul. And I don't want to be playing weddings when I'm in my, you know, at the time I was thinking 30s. Now I'm thinking 40s. But um, yeah. <laughs> aren't, aren't we all? Aren't yeah. we all? So, uh, so I stepped away from that. Yeah. At least management. I still play occasionally. Nice. Nice. So uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned that your service, did you not have to do your military service like right when you went back to Israel? There was like a little window of time where you, you weren't serving? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, or it's it, it's an interesting time. I was kind of on, uh, you know, I was kind of in limbo because I knew I was going to be drafted because I had no choice in the matter. I thought I could maybe like figure out when that was going to be. It was, I, I, only, I knew I only had to do six months of service. So I was like, let's just get in and get it over with so I can move on with my life. And so I think I moved here in September and I tried to get in for March and it didn't work out. And they only drafted me like the the, the October after that. So it was exactly like 11 years ago that I drafted. Maybe even today. Uh, I don't remember the date. It was like end of October. So there was like a whole year where I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing with myself. I can't really move forward in any like sort of career path, but I can't really, you know, like I'm waiting to join so I could be done with it. Like, what do I do? And that was kind of, that was kind of like the the period of life where I was like, I, what am I doing? <laughs> Lear <laughs> learning stuff. It was a, It was a tough year actually, but. It was a lonelier year, I would say. You know, I was by myself in this country, by my, you know, figuring out my way and figuring out this music thing. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it was an interesting time. That would be some serious limbo because, yeah, you wouldn't want to like 
get like really deep into something just to have to put it all on pause. That would be, yeah, yeah. that sucks. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I didn't even think to talk about that. But yeah, that was a, it was a total limbo <laughs> period in my life. But, you know, I, I, I think I made the best of it because I, you know, I had that internship at the studio and I was learning how to record myself and I made an EP of songs that I wrote that I loved uh, at the time. You know, I did the best I could. I waited tables until I got completely yeah. and utterly tired of it. And that was like right before I drafted. And so, you know, life experience, you know? That's right. That's right. You got Everybody does a bunch of different things. I have to ask, so then your college experience was not music related. Then you, you're all self-taught on the production and the playing side. Yeah, well, no, I wouldn't say entirely on the playing side. I did So in high school, I had bass lessons throughout high school. So I, I guess I had about five years of bass lessons from like eighth grade through 12th grade. And I had this guy named Wayne who is, shout out to Wayne. I tried reaching out to him several years ago. He didn't respond. I hope you're, I hope you're doing well. He was big into a lot of the reason why I'm into like, you know, kind of old school bass, you know, I'm into like the Beatles and Motown and that kind of thing. Um, he was oh, great. Yeah. And that kind of set me on that path. But I, I didn't really want to study music in college because it felt like it would be really academic and really classical based, which I wasn't really interested in. I was in a jazz band at one point in college. I took a history of jazz course and I took took a bunch of music classes in college, but I didn't major or minor in it, you know? Did you study something that comes into play in your life now, or did you study something that is just like on the, that you forgot all about? <laughs> yeah, I studied psychology. I got a, a BA in psychology and... Okay, so that's like production. It's, yeah, it's like, it's like being with somebody in the studio, telling them how to, but it's yeah. not though, because like what I studied was like, you know, the statistics and, uh, you know, I don't know, I learned about like concepts like CBT and, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. But like, I, I didn't, <laughs> right. uh, you know, I don't think I use any of it on a day-to-day basis. What what I did get from college was maybe uh, learning how to learn, you know, how to like really, mm. like, I don't think I did that well in high school of like actually focusing and, and trying to get better at something and learn something. That would probably be my only takeaway from college. And I had a good time, you know, college was all right, you know, for the most part, not all of it, but, but you yeah. know, for the most part. Yeah. Can't complain. All right. Well, okay. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Um, let's see. You mentioned that you started a wedding band. And then if I remember listening to your show, you kind of stepped away from it because it started taking up so much time. What was that process like? Is there anything you can share, like, logistically, like, where like an, an artist who's about to go on tour might be able to steal some tricks from how you set all those shows up and handled finding musicians and, and bookings and stuff like that? What, what was that whole journey like? Man, that was a time in my life where time was, when I started the band, time was not precious and uh, playing music was very precious and we just invested all our time getting good at being a wedding band. And uh, so it was a group of four friends and you know we brought in some other people to play the brass section. So it was like the four partners were me, the drummer, guitarist, and singer. We just had time on our hands and we just, you know, we dug deep and just worked really hard at it. So we invested our, our, our time. Even, you know, it even began while I was in the army and I would like literally 
get home. I was doing like these daily things in the army where you'd, you'd go every day to the base and come back at night. And I would literally get back from the army at like 6 p.m., get picked up to go to a rehearsal, rehearse until like 12 a.m., go back home, wake up at 5, start over again. It was like these crazy days. Wow. We were just super into, we were just green to like play together and, and invest our time in it. We came up with, uh, you know, I think the first, you know, the first clients that we played at were friends and slowly word of mouth, you know, things took off. It took a while. It took like a, I would say like a year and a half till we were pretty busy, maybe two years even. Like the first uh, couple of years were like on and off spotty. We, you know, we just kept at it. We, you know, and I helped do a lot of the demo recordings and, you know, what we didn't have in cash, we made up for in, in time and persistence, you know? Cool. That's awesome. That would be uh, awesome. probably the biggest lesson there. Nice. No, yeah, you got to put the time in. Were you guys like lugging your own PA around and having to set that up and like do so, your own monitoring and <laughs> stuff like that? No, but in, in the rehearsals, <laughs> yes. But in uh, at, at weddings from the get-go, we always hired a sound man to come and do the PA. Oh, cool. It's crazy to do that. You know, it's not, it's not that crazy. I mean, the sound man takes home more than any of us would take home, but they're also there, you know, from the beginning of the day till the end, like longer than any of us would be there. So... That's that's always been oh, part yeah. of like that. This band's you know price strategy was was bringing in uh, a sound man because yeah. I, also, we we didn't know anything about live sound at the time. You know, since then the drummer has learned a bunch of stuff, but like you don't really want to be focusing on also lugging equipment, setting it up, and then also playing and and you know playing weddings in Israel especially are just marathons. Like you you, you know, there's like two sets, especially in like the religious weddings. There you know they, they there's still that's like still one of the few places where it's not like a DJ wedding. And there's like two really long sets. So there'll be like often like a really long Jewish music set and then a really long, you know, Israeli and, uh, you know, secular music set. So, you know, playing like Israeli hits and like stuff like September and, you know, oh, yeah. Blue Suede Shoes and stuff like right. that. So it was, it, it, you know, these are long, you know, an hour of just playing bass straight. It's not like when you're playing with an artist and you can take a break after every song and kind of relax your muscles and stuff. You, It's like, it's really physically, you know, you need endurance for that. Yeah, I, well, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so it sounds like a, uh, having a band at a wedding is like kind of the standard then. In, in certain circles in Israel, yeah. I feel like this, <laughs> Yeah. my, my, my area of, uh, is so like insider, like Jewish is Israel, you know, <laughs> like I don't know how to, okay. <laughs> I don't know how it relates to the rest of the world. But, but yeah, it, it's very common in like the modern Orthodox or Orthodox world here, you know. Whereas okay. the more secular kind of weddings will be only a DJ and, you know, some, some people will have like a, a wedding band at the beginning for like, let's say the reception. And then after the ceremony, the, the band will leave and then DJ time. <laughs> so yeah, it's a whole world. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good. So how did you start a podcast? When did you start a podcast? Yeah. So uh, I guess I'll take it back a tiny bit. At a certain point, I kind of walked away from this, the wedding band. I said, I'm managing this band and, and uh, you know, me and the other partners. And I just, at a certain point, I I knew I wanted to be in the studio more than on, on the wedding band stage. I was married. I didn't want to be out every night. And um, I just kind of said, guys, like, I'm not going to be part of the management. I need to put my focus long-term in the studio. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. So that was a big turning point for me. And uh, yeah, and then kind of didn't make as much money for a bunch of years very slowly started to build up my studio work. So, you know, I've been doing studio stuff for over a decade, but like I've been very serious about it for maybe five years, you know, in terms of like, this is like my career path, if that makes sense. 
And uh, yeah, let's talk. <laughs> so so yeah, so I'm working with local artists, and I'm realizing like it's just not sustainable to only work with local artists. I need to kind of branch out and make myself known beyond just Jerusalem because Jerusalem's a very small scene, and you know people that work in small scenes are doing literally anything. So and I'm still to this day doing a lot of anything. You know, random podcast edits. You know this person just wants to record some guitar track or a vocal or something. So it's like a lot of, it's a hodgepodge of like, I'm working on a bunch of productions and a bunch of mixes, but I'm also doing random stuff that just comes through the studio doors. And that's part of being, I think, I, you know, there's a guy who I had on my show named Irko who's in, in LA and I think he mixed the Kanye record that just came out. Maybe you should hit him up. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a cool guy. And he was telling me, it's like, yeah, I think to really niche down and do one thing great, you need to be, in a big city like LA or Nashville. Anyway, this is way after I started the podcast, but I, I kind of had a revelation that I, I just need to get branch out of just here because otherwise I'm not going to be able to stay, sustain this, make enough money to support a family. Um, so right. the impetus for the podcast was just to kind of get myself out there. It was kind of like my content creation was like, you know, I tried YouTube. That didn't really work for me. I tried this. I tried that. Like none, like Instagram is just a black hole of death, you know, like <laughs> let's, 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 yeah, like that's <laughs> all. That's all. I I agree. It's too it's, gross. it's a painful a... playing field. I I mean, like I was just telling this to another person I had on my show yesterday. Like, it's not a fair playing ground to be on the social medias because they're the social media is just hijacking your attention, and it's it's impossible to kind of get in, do what you're trying to do on social media, and get out. You know, because you're just gonna end up sucked in. There's no there's no way about it. They're smart. Their algorithms are amazing. Oh yeah. You know, I just realized that like podcasting could be the thing that works for me because I'm an audio guy. I love doing audio. So this is might be something that I could sustainably do for a while. I had dabbled with podcasting before. I have a good friend over here named Yakir, and we started a podcast called Jukebox Java, which was fun, but totally fizzled out, which is more of like a generic music podcast. Um, so I was already kind of familiar with what was going on, what, what it entailed. And I tried to find a, a co-host and I could not find somebody. I need to be somebody who was, you know, as talkative and like at least as talkative and interesting as me, if not more so. And the one person who I asked who I thought could maybe do that was didn't want to commit to it. So I said, you know what? Fuck this. I just got to do this. You know what I mean? This is, I'm committed. Let's just make this, let's make some great content. And uh, and that's that's kind of what happened. I just said, okay, I'm starting this podcast. And obviously it's evolved and my perception of what it is has changed drastically. But I'm just so glad I started because I feel like I don't know. I feel like so many artists just wait to start to do it and they sit on, you know, what they think is their masterpiece until it's perfect. And there's no way. Yeah. You, you got to just release that song. You got to just do that thing and move on because eventually one will be amazing. And I, I do feel like I just started and eventually it got good. You know what I mean? Like it took maybe a year, <laughs> but, <laughs> and then, yeah, I don't know. But um, yeah, so I, I, I think I told this to you, but like, you know, I thought I was making content, but by doing this podcast, but really I've been building relationships. That's been the crazy thing. I've been meeting people in the industry and yeah. like forming real relationships with people over Zoom. And um, I end up just keep on Instagramming people and WhatsApping people. And it's been super, super cool. And uh, I don't know, building some sort of community-ish. And, uh, you know, I'm like a little speck in the music industry that is like one of those guys that's doing something that's cool in this space. And yeah, I'm proud of that, you know? Yeah, it's awesome. I've really, really been enjoying your show. I've been listening, like, we met, like, maybe, what, three months ago or something? 
But I think, uh, I think you, less. You mentioned the community. But yeah. And I love your show also, by the way. Travis's show is kicking butt. Oh, thanks. Everyone listening to Progressions <laughs> should continue listening to Progressions, you know? <laughs> yeah. Don't stop now. No. Still half an episode left. Totally. Uh, <laughs> but you, you mentioned the community thing, and that was one of the things that, that I jotted down that I wanted to talk about because I think it was... I think it was the last guest, at least your last guest at the time of our filming, which was uh, uh, Nick uh, DeLorenzo, right? Yeah. It was Nicholas, just this yeah. week. I think he made a comment about how he just loves the community. It was either him or the person before Yeah, yeah him. I think it was Nicholas, uh, yeah. Loves the community. It was, right? Mm-hmm. So the the community that's kind of building around like your show and, and the fact that all, all a lot of the guests know each other, uh, there's just a lot of interaction. And that's kind of what I've experienced is is just building those relationships and just having like new friends and getting to share information with people. So I think it's amazing. I think, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's if not, if nothing else, it's like the digital <laughs> water cooler that we we've all been craving in this age of before isolation, you know, just digital, you know, man and woman caves, you know, just <laughs> not in, big, yeah. if you're not in big studios, how do you meet people? Totally. And the world is like getting, you know, the big studios, they still exist, but they're expensive. You know, it's like, it's hard to, it's hard to spend a lot of time in there if you're an artist. And a lot of producers and engineers and mixers are realizing that it's significantly cheaper. It's better for your work-life balance if you if you can work at home professionally. I mean, it's that's challenging in itself, but yeah. it can be a much better situation. You because you work at you work from home, right? Yeah. I, my studio's in my house. Yeah. Yeah, mine mine is in my house. And it's like I don't think I could balance my life if I had to get in the car again. And drive to a studio. Yeah, it's a lot of time. It's <laughs> driving. Yeah. Driving sucks my soul out. You know, one of the one of the saving graces of this pandemic was having to drive a lot less because I, <laughs> I my right. my stress levels go through the roof when I'm in the car, especially in Israel. It's so packed. You know, I'm sure it's similar to LA. Like, I, I mean, I've been to LA. Like, I know I know how bad the traffic is in LA. It's not good. But at least in LA, like you're kind of like in traffic for a little bit, and then you cruise for a little bit, and then your traffic. And like in Israel, it's just like bumper to bumper constantly. Oh, is it really? Oh. It's a packed country. It's a very small, physically, like the space of this country is very small and there's, it's a growing population. It's just tons of, tons of cars. And the government has done a shitty job with uh, infrastructure and public transport. And they get a lot of money from taxes, from, you know, vehicles, from gas, gasoline, and just the whole car industry is like a big profit thing for the, the government here. So, <laughs> so there's tons of cars oh, on the road. Don't even get me started on, on taxes and, and roads because I, I have to pay here in California. They like added a special tax that's supposed to go just to the road. Mm. It's like doubling my, my car registration. And I still can't see the lines on the freeway when it rains. I'm like, what did <laughs> you do with my money? I, I just gave you a bunch of money. I literally just gave it to you. Anyway. Well, um, luckily it doesn't rain very much in, in LA. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it, it, it is true. It's funny, like over here on, on the East Coast, like they, they use like a road paint that's like a little bit reflective. Yeah. So like when it's wet, like you can still see the lines. Over here, it's like it rains like five times. They're like, whatever, let's use the cheap stuff. Uh, but it's like a disaster when it's actually pouring and it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. I, even dark on those roads. I haven't been in LA while it's raining, but I've been on those roads while it's dark and it is hard to see. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, without that little bit of reflectiveness, this is like people are just dropping off the show right now. They're like, what are these people talking about? I know, this is like, pain? what is this but conversation? it just goes to show you how you have to expand your mind into everything. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. This is an important uh, conversation topic. To, to go, <laughs> exactly. Everybody needs to understand road paint. Nice. I wanted to ask you, do you have any tips? Because you kind of like live in this, a similar space where you go from like mixing and production like I do and then have to jump into a podcast interview and then you have 
you have multiple children? You have one. We have one, one child. Yeah. Yeah. One. Ch- so you have one child. I'm about to have one child. Yeah. How do you gauge your your work life and like transitioning from like one mindset to the other one? Are you pretty good at like having a hard cutoff or is it kind of, is it Yeah. Tough? It's a really good question. Um, I think there were, there are a couple periods in my life where I've made conscious decisions to kind of like be better at, at work-life balance. And, um, I don't know if I'm in the best place right now. I, when I first got married, I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta work on this. And, and I, I got really, I got way better. Cause you know, music is your life. You just, you want to be working on it all the time. So you have to kind of yeah just say I'm stepping away, you know, and I got much better at it. And then, you know, things kind of, you know, there's different seasons in life and, you know, with the pandemic, it's been really hard because, you know, if we were, you know, in, either in isolation or if we had a lot of lockdowns here in Israel and didn't have daycare for a, a lot of the last year and a half, I, I, it was just really rough. So it was like whenever I had a chance, I was in here and I was stressed out of my mind and it was like not good. And so balancing everything was tough. And we just came out of like a, a Jewish holiday season, which was also in t- grueling because it was just like, it's a Jewish holiday. It's not a Jewish holiday. You're cleaning, you're preparing. It's another Jewish holiday. And this was after like August, which is a month of also no daycare. And and so I, I know parents, we were just all losing it. And it's not that I don't love my son. I love my son more than anything, but I, you know, I do need to work and it, it was rough. That So it's been rough, but now I'm kind of in a routine again and I'm feeling great. And when I have time to do the work I need to do, I love the work I do. I love spending time with my family and I, you know, and I'm, I think I'm much better at separating the two. So I do have to come into the studio at night to do interviews. I usually, you know, I'm, I'm like seven hours ahead of the East Coast, 10 hours ahead of the, the West Coast. So I do most of my interviews after my son's bedtime. And I love that my studio is in the house for that because I don't have to leave and go anywhere else. It's just super convenient to kind of pop in, pop out. Yeah. And, you know, and so there'll be weeks where I'm in here all the time. And then there's weeks where I'm in here a lot less. So I'm usually like stacking interviews and then running out of interviews. And then I'm stacking interviews again and running out of interviews. So I have like seasons <laughs> of like... I'm working too much at night and then there's times where I'm not working too much at night. So, uh, I don't know. I'm like hoping, you know, the Jewish version of fingers crossed that, um, that this routine kind of continues. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been good to get back into a zone. It's, it's really challenging. I was just talking to somebody yesterday cause I just, I just moved into my studio for listeners. Most people know I'm building a studio, but this is the first time that I've done an interview from here. But I've only been in here for like a week. But I've found that when I was in the house, like actually like in the spare bedroom for a year while we were building this, that I would like leave the computer on and I would go and like, I would have dinner and then I'd like walk in there and I would do a bounce or like, you know, turn the vocal up a dB and do another bounce. it's like, I was totally just thrashing that balance by just being, you know, 10 feet away. Mm-hmm. And now ever since I got to the backyard, I mean, it's only like 25 feet away, 30 feet away. But it's like, turn the computer off, lock the door, turn the lights off, go inside, done for the night. So it's, it's I don't know, working from home, like I said, everybody's doing it now and it, it's super challenging, but yeah, you just have to find the little things that work for you. And, yeah, you know, totally. Whatever it is, so. You know, to be honest, if I, if I didn't have a kid, my work-life balance might be a lot worse. Like I might just be coming in here and doing like you're saying, like, oh, let's just bounce it. Cool, let's just do that real quick. I do that during the workday, you know, when I'm here and I kind of go in and get a yeah. coffee and then I'll do this and I'll go right, right back out and continue like kind of taking like brain space time to kind of, you know, process stuff. But, you know, because my son just needs so much attention, 
I'm just, when he's home, that's it. I'm not in here. I'm totally there. It's like, it's not even, you know, even if I wanted to be in here, I, cu- I couldn't be. So, uh, not possible. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, it's interesting. I've kind of been able to kind of get this sweet spot where I'm, I'm like working work hours, which like from 830 to four or so, 430. And then he gets back from daycare. And then until he goes to sleep, I'm just, I'm just a dad. I'm here. And I got like three hours of solid, you know, being a family guy, uh, for lack of a better term. So I'm only sacrificing time with my wife when I, when I do podcasts, uh, but <laughs> which is not perfect, but you know, the podcast is a big important thing for me. So it's part of, it's part of the deal, I guess, right at this point, you know? Yeah. That's awesome that you're, you're able to keep those hours and yeah, it's like a, it, people struggle and I don't know, it's you is just the, like the older I get and like the way my life changes, just family seems like, you know, it's so much more important than it was 10 years yeah. ago when all I wanted to do was work 20 hours yeah. a day. And, 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 you know, I'm not the best at saying no to work. And, and, you know, I still have a bit of that FOMO thing that people talk about, like, oh, I guess I got to do this work, you know? But uh, but I've been getting right. better at slowly saying, like, no, I'm not available after four o'clock. Like, that's that's the end of my work day. I'm sorry. Unless it's, like, something yeah. crazy. Or and occasionally I have a gig and I'm, and I'm working at night. So, th- you know, but that's, like, twice a month, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, slowly getting better at this stuff over time. You know, the, <laughs> saying no to stuff is... Is something I'm, I'm I'm trying to embrace and learn, you know. Like, I think we've talked about this before. Is uh, just like um, there's a book called Essentialism, uh, and maybe we talked about this on our episode, your episode on my podcast. I'm not sure. You you brought it up, but I I still haven't read it. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, and and I still don't know if you need to read it because you know I, I pretty much I'm gonna say it right now. But it's just like if you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else, and it's confusing because there are seasons of life where you're more busy and there's, there's more people requesting to work with you. And then there's times in your life where you're, you're up to here and you just great say no, you know what I mean? So it depends, you know, but yeah. And also just knowing when to say, you know, you catch those red flags and sometimes it's, I feel like we always catch the red flags. We just decide to ignore them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm just going to do this anyway. For sure. (laughs) And that's all ego, man. It's all ego. It, this so. will be an easy gig. I could, I could do this in a couple hours. It's like, uh, don't ever say that. I had a revelation this week, which might be an interesting thing to mention on the podcast. Is like, I'm really good at knocking out the few hundred dollar projects, but I'm not as good at knocking out the one thousand plus dollar projects. You know, if it's like a mix or just a miscellaneous recording gig or editing gig, it's like, okay, cool, da, 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 done. If it's like a production. Like, there's no reason for me to to linger as long as I'm lingering. I just get in a headspace of like, oh, I need to make sure that I have time to really focus and edit the vocals and then blah, 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 blah. And um, so I'm realizing that that's something I need to really work on is, 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 is you know, finishing those $1,000 plus projects as quickly, if not more so than the, you know, I don't know if it's possible to do more so, but then the $300 projects or whatever it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, well. Yeah, can, can I can I push you on that and, yeah, and ask please. you a question? Is there like a pressure for you that where you're like, I just really want to make sure that this person gets their dollar value out of this? It, yes. Do you let that like take over? Is that what Absolutely. happens? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Yeah. And the other part of it is I'm a perfectionist, which is to a detriment. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, and it's, it's dangerous. Yeah, I, I wish I wasn't a perfectionist. Like my wife is not a perfectionist and I'm so envious. Like imagine <laughs> not giving as much of a shit. I, I wish I sometimes didn't give as much of a shit, but I, I do. I truly care about my my clients and I care about, yeah. you know, making the record sound good. And, and I, I have to figure out a balance for, that works for me that I'm not, I'm not sacrificing myself in that process. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing that I was thinking about in terms of that is um, 
I need to start delegating more. I finally hired somebody to tune vocals for me, and it was amazing. Felt so good. Nice. So amazing. Delegation is something I need to embrace more. You know. Yeah. Eventually, I mean, well, even you know, that's that's one way to look at for listeners. Like, if you have that high dollar fear when you like land the gig that you really want and you're getting the rate you want, maybe consider having somebody tune the vocals. Maybe consider having somebody because you're getting paid more money, right? So now you have yeah. the opportunity to outsource like Ben suggested. And then at the same time, you can work less, potentially, hopefully less time and end up at a, at an equal or better hourly right. rate. If you want to break it down to, you know, statistics, because yeah. I, I get nerdy on that, on that type of business yeah. stuff. It's almost I'm like le- great at it, but I love to talk about it. Totally. Well, I think it's almost like leverage. Like people talk about leverage in real estate, right? Like if you take a, if you take out a mortgage, you know, you'll have more money to do other investments and not just put all your assets in one thing. And I think it's almost, I'm having this revelation right now, but it's almost like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. I'm taking out a mortgage on this, on this, uh, on this song production. I'm still going to, it's still going to be my production. I'm still going to mix it, but I'm going to, it's going to do it, taking out some, you know, whatever. I don't know. It's not a perfect analogy, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you know, and it, to- it totally makes, if, if you can mix a song uh, for one of your other clients while your editor is doing the edits and you can make more money mixing that song than you're paying your editor. Right. Then you've you've basically taken that time and you've you know you've utilized it to exactly. Re- actually reinvested it. Do two jobs at the same time and you know, and also put some money in your buddy's pocket who does work for you. Exactly. It's also like, you know, win-win. you're just building your team. Yeah, yeah, win-win for everybody. Do you do you do a lot of delegation? <sighs> no. No. <laughs> uh no, I do. I, I have I have a guy uh who's super good tuner and editor, and he actually saved saved my ass on a podcast episode. I'd like to delegate the, you know, the edit of the podcast. I don't think you do. We've talked about this. Not, not it's yet. It's just like, I'm just afraid. Yeah, I'm afraid that my, quote, voice will be different, which is probably just me making an excuse for not wanting to pay somebody. But I do when, when I can. I have a few people that I like to try to hire. But it's, you know, it all comes down to what the project is bringing in. Is it, is it worth it? Is it going to make sense? Right. So. Yeah, it's like my podcast is still directly giving me zero dollars so you know <laughs> indirectly it's for sure helping me in many ways but but directly yeah. it's giving me zero dollars so how can i it's almost like how do i justify you know spending money for this thing that's that's then it's just losing money but uh, but on the other hand it, if it if it buys you time and it buys you headspace that's may, maybe exactly. yeah. more important i don't know time is worth the money time for is, sure time is definitely worth the money and um yeah, I was going to say that like I think I think I'm I'm the same as you with like letting things go in terms of like the podcast edit and stuff like that. And I do think it's it's my ego. And and even people like are suggesting things to kind of, you know, change things up and make it make it smoother or like add video and stuff and I'm just I'm hesitant and scared because I have the system so down and I guess like my ego is scared of screwing up my consistency and I don't know what I've what I've brought to the table so far. You know, I, someone right. was telling me about Descript. Have you heard of Descript? Yeah. And it's yeah, like, I, oh, I messed with it. You've messed with it? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I had, I had this guy on my podcast last night named John McLucas, and uh, he was telling me, dude, you got to get Descript. Like, what are you doing spending all this time editing your podcast? And maybe he's right, but I'm still scared to do it. But it, maybe it's just my ego, well, I, you know? I, I, I used it once. And here, here's my experience for, for anybody that is interested in, like, you know, trying something different. 
So instead of doing my edit in Pro Tools and playing it back the same way, Descript, for anybody that doesn't know, basically it Descript or Descript, I, I, whatever it is, figure it out. But um, <laughs> it transcribes the episode. So then you can basically read it as a Word document, more or less, and you can make your edits that way. So I did, I can't remember which episode was it. It was um, Chris Gear. It was one of my early episodes. And I had to re-edit the episode because... When, you, when you're like looking at the words, or at least my experience was, while I was looking at the words and editing it, I was like, man, I just did the greatest, like most concise edit of this episode. And then the cool thing is you can pull it out of there, throw it in Pro Tools to do your mix. And when I threw it into Pro Tools and started listening to it without looking at the words on the screen, it felt so just like, like, like one of those news shows that's like super chopped. You know, yeah. like I, that's what, that's who's using these Descript is these, right. you know, daily shows and stuff that, like that. That was kind of my super fear. super handy tool, but it just took me so far. Yeah. It was not like the show at all. Right. Cause I kind of pride myself in having a very conversational, it is a very conversational show, but it also sounds very conversational. Cause I, I kind of make my edits very, make sense. You know what I mean? And, uh, like, yes, like, I don't want people to just listen to my show because it's the content and because of the things we're saying, I want people to kind of feel like they're a part of that conversation, but it could be useful maybe just to get rid of like ums and stuff. Cause I know you, you can automatically get rid of like long spaces and ums and stuff. And maybe after that, you know, listen through. I and did see. do that once. Yeah. I, I did an automatic um removal on somebody. Yeah. No, no, no name shall be named. No name <laughs> shall be named. But if you're just in a mindset of, I'm just plowing through these ums, like it's not so hard. Just go at it until it's done. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I listen, I do my edits at like 1.4 ish speed, uh, depending on the, the guests. Sometimes it's a little slower. Sometimes a little faster. And I just kind of cruise yeah. through it, you know? Yeah, that's what I need to start doing. Something else I wanted to ask you while we're nerding out on on podcasts is <laughs> uh, you've done way more episodes than I have, obviously. I think maybe double or more than that. Mm -hmm. And you've been sitting down with uh, lots of producers and engineers. What have you taken away? Have you noticed like a common thread in like mindset or like career choices that some of your guests have had? Yeah. That, like, have you identified things where you're like, wow, like 30 of these people had this, you know, skill or ha is there anything you can share there? Yeah. I mean, I would say the thing that I've learned from, I guess the biggest overall takeaway from doing this podcast and, and talking to all these guys and gals, and I'm hoping to get more gals, gals, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on my show, is you got to double down on your, what you do and do yourself and do that the best you possibly can. Because I feel like if you're, if you're faking it and if you're trying to do something else, that it's not really what you're great at, it's not going to be great. And then you're not going to be, you know, as successful. You're not going to do the things you want to do either. So you got to be you and, and double down on that. And I think that's true also for artists, musicians. You got to make the music that's right for you. And if you're, you know, in the studio and you have a way of working that works for you and you like, and it, I don't know, or genres that you like, or, you know, specific things, like it's, it's just do that. You know, that's what you have to do, I think. So, and I'm working on that, being more fearless and and, and just, Doing it, doing it the way I want to do it and and not trying too hard to do something that maybe I'm not as interested in doing, you know? So I, I would yeah. say that, that would be the yeah. biggest, the biggest common thread. It's a little bit like, you know, finding your niche, but also not really. It's like finding what like kind of drives you and mixing it with finding that niche, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, it's almost a niche. It's like a, it's a personality niche because it, it's like there's only one Travis Ference in the world, right? Presumably. So no one's going to do what you do exactly how you do it. You know, there are things that are a dime a dozen, right? There's like a dime a dozen pop songs. <laughs> I don't know. But, but, but if, you, if you're... 
for example. But 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 if you're if you're if you're doing you, there's only one you. And I know it sounds like cheesy and snowflakey and whatever, but it's <laughs> it's so true. Like there's no other people yeah. on earth that are exactly like us or any of you listeners. So you got to be you got to do what what works for you and is you and be true to that. And that's that's going to be the only way you're going to not only fi- I think find success but be happy with the success you've found. So I don't know. I think that's yeah. important. I don't know. What would be the can I ask the same question to you? Oh, the common the common thread of yeah. of the po- I mean, I think that it's hard the, for me not mm, to also ask questions, you know. <laughs> I know, right? You flip it around on me. I, I think I you would, flipped it I around would, on me on, my, on I would s- also so. <laughs> <laughs> it's payback. Uh, payback time, baby. I think yeah, I I think a lot of the a lot of the stuff I talk about in the beginning of the podcast, like in the intros, I find that a lot of those concepts, like the the abundance mindset, yes, and like the work life balance, these these more I don't want to say these more internal things that like help bring you happiness ultimately at the end of your journey. Like I feel like the common thread in a lot of my guests is that they they really believe in one or two of or all of the things that I've discussed on the show, and. Partially, I do reach out to people that I think fit that and like, you know, and and embrace those concepts. But it is cool to hear them like talk about it in their way. And some of them kind of imply whatever it is, like an abundance mindset, or we'll use that as an example. Some of them imply it, but they don't actually maybe even identify the fact that that's like how they think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that would be like, that would be, I guess my, the common thread is that is that you have to like understand those like internal things that really are maybe holding you back. And that's, that's the thing that I think most of my guests have had, you know, like I said, checked one of those boxes. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was not prepared for that. No, that's great. That, that's <laughs> awesome. I love it. Well, your, first of all, your intros are amazing and so, you know, well thought out and, pre- and prepared and I, I'm, I'm in awe and uh, yeah, they're really great, really, truly great. So oh, I appreciate keep, that. Keep at that. It's, it, you it know, makes, it's like part talk- of what makes your podcast unique, you know? I mean, it is what makes your podcast unique, I guess. That's you doubling down on yourself and being thoughtful and, I, I guess. you know, and, and thinking these things out, you know? That's that's your way, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I appreciate that. I um, Yeah, to me, I don't know. Some of those things, like I mentioned, I think in, in another episode or, or maybe it was a message with a listener or something, some of those things are therapeutic. Like, I, you know, I'll, I'll be talking about something that I'm just not doing that week, like something I'm just fucking up. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, I'm going to sit here and write about this thing that I am currently not doing well. And it's going to make me like solve that problem. You know, next week, I'm going to hopefully get over that. So, you know, yeah, every, I think at this point, everybody knows that I'm not perfect. And, you know, but, I, but at who, least I try to tell people that. Who is I, perfect? And I mean, as a perfectionist, <laughs> you know, I'm saying that, but 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 I, I love that because you know I learned so much from doing my podcast also you know like I feel, like I feel like you're working on your own issues or you know or, or something that you're dealing with while you're doing it and you're taking you're taking things away from that from you know because you have this podcast it gives you like a, a forum to uh, explore and discover what what's really holding you back and I think that's awesome like and I learn a ton from doing a podcast as well like I I learn something from everybody on the show so that's that's like another oh, yeah. side benefit of doing a podcast is learning and uh, and growing you know. So, yeah. Would you say that you've learned more or that your listeners have learned more from, from you doing like a hundred plus shows of, oh, of a podcast? God. Don't ask me that question. Uh, no, uh, I, I, yeah, maybe, maybe me, I don't know. It's been, it's, but maybe <laughs> not. It's, it's so hard to tell what the impact of your show is because 
it's, you know, I, I'm not having crazy downloads. I have good downloads, not crazy downloads, but I know it's an engaged audience and I know it's people that care about the stuff we're talking about on this, on the show. So who knows what kind of impact it is? You know what I mean? Long-term, who knows what that, that does? And, you know, that's not why I started it, but that would be the best thing to ever happen if that's what, you know, what happened because of it, you know? So right. yeah. I've definitely learned a ton and I imagine that the listeners have too, you know? Uh, you know, how would you feel? I mean, I have. Yeah, no, I mean, just listening to, I don't know, probably the 10 or 10 or 12, you know, the last couple months. I mean, there's, there's a lot of the people that you have on there. I've really enjoy like their perspective. Like, I mean, a lot of them, you know, I've reached out to and been like, Hey, you know, a couple months from now, you need to come and have the same conversation with me, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not doing it this week. Cause we gotta, we gotta space it out. But, uh, totally. so yeah, if you're listening to, if you're a secret Sonics fan, you might recognize some names next year on, on progressions. But I did want to ask it one more question something that we kind of discussed before we started. Sure. I feel like both of us, by st we both started podcasts. And I think that like, it was not a normal choice. It was like kind of something like outside mm. the box for what you would expect a producer mixer to like want to do, especially people like us that are working, like we're making our, our living, you know, making music. Like, why would we try this other thing as well? And I've taken a lot away. I talked about it a couple episodes ago and you have obviously learned a lot would you encourage somebody else to like, uh, like a musician or or whatever, or, or a graphic design person, anybody to like step outside their box? Like, do you think starting something like this is something that everybody should try? Not necessarily podcast, but like, you know, building something that is maybe outside your norm? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think so. Uh, you know, part of me thinks like, well, imagine <laughs> if I had spent the amount of time I've spent on this podcast and actually just working on my craft and work. <laughs> working on other things but uh on the other hand i don't like i don't regret it for a second so you know this is like been the project that's gotten me through coronavirus and and you know helped keep me sane in that in that department and and i've learned so much and i've met so many amazing people like i definitely have no regrets you know maybe i have regrets about how i've gone about doing it maybe i've overdone it been too much of a perfectionist or whatever but like actually doing it you know there's a book that i read called start I think it's by a guy named John Cuff, And I read that book well before I started the podcast. But it's such an important point of just like, if you do that first step of starting something, th that's all you need to do to get the ball rolling. And I see so many people that think about things too much and then they don't actually start it. Yeah. That's, you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. You know, if you don't start it, it's never going to happen. And uh, I, I think if you're thinking about it and dabbling about it, do it because you'll only discover if it works once you've started it. And like my podcast has evolved. It's become its own thing. And I feel almost like it was always going to be that thing. I just didn't know that at the beginning. But yeah, I had to start and go through the paces and learn. So, you know, I kind of said this at the beginning of the episode also, but if you don't start, you're never going to know. And uh, yeah, so start. I, I say start. <laughs> yeah, I think there's, yeah, it's built, you know, building something and starting something shows you, you know, the, I don't know, the advantages of just like taking a little bit of a risk. And, and like you said, it doesn't, it, you can't make it be perfect. I mean, how many stories about YouTubers where somebody's like, oh, I'm going to make 20 videos before I start. And that person like never, they make three videos and never put one video out because it all changes too. Like you said, like everything, everything yeah. shifts as it develops and you understand what it is. So yeah. And my, the artists that I've worked with, I mean, there have been several that are talented and I actually made something decent with them, but they were too perfectionistic to ever just put it out there and get the ball rolling. Uh, man, 
What gives? Oh, yeah. If you'd put that yeah. out, it would have been great. I've done mixes. I've done multiple songs for clients and then never seen those songs come out. And you're talking about independent artists who were willing to invest in like proper production, proper mixing. And then, so what was the thing that prevented that person from releasing that song? It was only them because they they did everything that they would have done if they were on a label. They paid for mastering, they whatever. But for some reason, that song never left the hard drive. And yeah. I, you know, I have three or four clients like that where they just keep coming back. And I'm like, you've never put any of these songs out. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Maybe they have a fear of success. <laughs> <laughs> scared shitless that they'll be huge. <laughs> I'm I'm a little scared of be, of becoming of su- of success, you know, like I don't know, you you kind of sent me a primer. <laughs> I don't know if I should bring this up. But you sent me a primer before the podcast about like, you know, defining success success for myself and I I think I've may I maybe set the the bar too low for myself because um like for me like my definition of success today is probably the same it's been for a long time is like can I work in the field that I love? and have a sustainable income for me and my family. Like that's, it's very basic, you know what I mean? Like that's like yeah. a, like that's so basic, but I feel like people that actually have lofty and crazy goals get them or get closer to them. And But may, maybe they're less happy when they get them. I don't know, but like, I, I you know, I feel like my my goals may be too, too banal <laughs> to, <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm afraid of success. Maybe I'm not, I don't know. I don't know, I'm not sure. Anyways, just figured I'd, I'd, put, I'd throw that out you, there. You've like half, you've half answered the next question. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, something that blew my mind that I don't know if I brought it up on, a, I've brought it up on a podcast. I don't know if it was a music podcast, but somebody was like, hey, like, what's your, what's your big, like, five-year goal? And it was an exercise that they were doing with me. And I think th- this was kind of like, this was an eye-opener for me. And I was, I sat there for a while because I wanted to give a good answer. And I was like, hmm. I'm really thinking about it. And then, so then I gave an answer and the, and the guy was like, okay, he's like, so let's say that's like a one out of 10. So then like, what's, what's the 10? And I, and I was like, well, I just sat here for 10 minutes trying to come up with that. Cause I thought that was the one. And now you're telling me that one's sorry, that was a 10. And now you're telling me that I got to come up with nine better than that. And it's in, it really is like, you know, going for the ridiculous goal you may never hit it, but you're going to like go further than the, the easy goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, like uh, a, there's a like a term, like shoot for the stars and, and get to the moon or something. I, it's not quite that, but like, yeah, totally. It's, um, so I think I have some soul searching to do <laughs> in, that, in that regard. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, well, before, before I ask you the question that you just answered. Um, so one of the things I'm doing on my show this year is, I'm trying to highlight credits and kind of just encouraging people to give credit to, you know, everybody they work with. Yeah, yeah. And if they think that there's problems in crediting. Do you have any thoughts, complaints, suggestions? Is there anything you want to talk about regarding crediting in in the music industry? Yeah, I mean, I would love it if the people involved were credited on a YouTube video the same way like the the YouTube video production is is credited. Like seriously, if it's a music video, the music is Yeah. more important than the music video. I don't care. Like Every single product, you know, person who is at that film shoot is listed, and none of the musicians are, and that's that yeah. seems kind of fucked up to me. I'm not a guy that's done, you know. I've worked on, uh, I've kind of worked on major label releases, but I haven't, you know, mixed any major label releases or worked a ton on major label stuff. So, you know, I don't have a ton of experience with like seeing that need for credits or discogs or you know whatever. I've I've very much been like 
overall a local guy for now. I'm hoping not to be, but I, I think I think you're right. Like people need to be credited, and um, I think we could do more. I think Spotify is starting to kind of credit people. Is is that true? Maybe not. Not so much. Title They're is trying. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's They're a lot. Trying. of There's so many trends happening now, and I don't even know how I feel about any of it. You know, whether it's Dolby Atmos or or you know NFTs and stuff. Like the world is just changing so fast. But uh, maybe NFTs is the solution to credits. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I'm not I'm not as smart as some people when it comes to NFTs. But I think when you get into some kind of blockchain solution for music payments, that like record labels are just going to fall off the face of the planet because that's what people it, are talking about. There's so many people making money off of the royalties that they've collected that they don't have to pay you. You know? Yeah. Uh, nobody owes me any royalties, but <laughs> right <laughs> there. Yeah. There's 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 a lot of there's a lot of problems in you know in any any industry. I, I just crediting for me is frustrating for people that I think are like on the on the up that feel like they're they're doing their best work. Producers that are like you know they're finally getting on to some Spotify playlists. Maybe they got new music a couple times. Everything they're doing has like a million, two million streams, but like people can't find them because credits are just so broken sometimes. So. Um, I just, I encourage people to just, you know, give credit to everybody you work with. And I think that there's like, I just talked about this in a bonus episode. Um, it's important for the community to grow. It's like if even like you say that you're working with local artists, well, I think it's even more important for everybody in a local community to be giving credit to each other because that's how they're going to find each other. It's like, if you, you want that dope drummer that played on some record that you heard, at the local coffee shop, like how totally. are you going to find that drummer? Yeah. You know, so. Totally. Um, yeah. Let's work on it. <laughs> let's do it. We're going to fix it. Um, work anyway, out of so us. It's going to take a minute. We'll need another <laughs> podcast. That's another podcast and maybe a different guest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, so the last traditional closing questions to progressions, one you've kind of, I guess, answered ish is there a time in your career where you chose to redefine what success meant to you you told us that you know success to you is to you know support your family and, and work in music Did, was there a time when you decided that that's what it was you know um i mean i guess it must have been around the time i got married or maybe when i had my son somewhere in that zone i mean yeah, I mean, I think when I was single I my 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 goals were different, you know. It was just I just want to be in music doing yeah. music that was kind of it. And at a certain point I realized like, okay, if I want to support a family, I need to, you know, I need to make some money. And, uh, you know, my goals are always shifting. And I don't know, I feel like there's just been so many moments of, of changed perspective on, on goals and defining success. And, you know, I've, ch I've, I've changed how I define success for my podcast also. Like at first I was like, I'm making content and this is going to bring me work. And now it's like, no, I'm forming relationships and I'm loving it and having the time of my life. You know, so many things have changed. Things will continue to change. Uh, I, I was debating this because I, I, I don't know. There's been so many like little moments, but I don't know if I ha I've had a massive moment of like, I'm changing the, you know, there was, I don't know if there's been a stark moment. You know, I feel like it's been lots of little gradual peaks and valleys and changes, you know? Is yeah. that a fair answer? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's a fair answer. It's, I, I think it's, I think the, uh, the podcast part is, is super interesting. The, you know, the idea that you started the podcast with, a win being one thing and now it's like a different it's like a different goal line I, you know i feel like i kind of feel the same way about my show like the way i started is different from you know what i think about 
now when I approach an episode or approach a guest. So yeah, I think it's it's a valid answer. I'll take it and check that box. Uh, you know, I just had a thought. Maybe it <laughs> might be a cool thing and then I could bring this up, which is another cool aspect that I've, of things that I've done. You know, when I went on tour with Alex Clare, and when we went to like the, you know, Russia and Kazakhstan and stuff um, and played for his fans, that kind of just ticked a lot of my boxes of like, I've done this in life. I've done like the rock star thing. I've like played in front of nice. a, a crowd that really gave a, gave a, gave a damn and, uh, and have gone on tour and, and played bass and been like, been that side of the music musician thing. I feel like now I've ticked that box and if that comes again, great. And if it doesn't great and I'm happy to, you know, if my success is in, in the studio, which is my plan, you know, I'm happy I've done that and I don't have to linger on, you know, what if I did that? Cause it, that really just ticked all the boxes. So that was fun. Yeah. And uh, kudos to Alex, awesome. who's, who's the man. So, yeah. Great. Amazing. Um, so last question for you. Uh, what right now is your current biggest goal and what is the next smallest step you're going to take to go towards it? It love, can be whatever studio, podcast, personal, whatever, whatever your thing is right now. Man, I love this question and I debated about what to answer, but I'm going to answer uh, what I'm going to go with my gut and uh, get my podcast sponsored. I'm, I'm looking for sponsorship for my podcast and that is my, that is my big, you know, shortish term goal. And what am I going to do about that? I, I don't know if you asked that because I'm, I was assuming you're going to ask that. Um, yeah, what, yeah. What's the next, the next thing you're going to do? Um, the next thing I'm going to do is draft up some pretty badass emails and, um, make an, an amazing like landing page so people can kind of look at my podcast at a glance and, uh, and send that out to some companies I believe in and I would love to partner up with. So that I just need to do it. It's just been something I've been procrastinating because I've been busy. I've been this, that, the other, it's like the important thing, you know, you need to do, but then you just don't do it because yeah. all the other things in life are just taking precedence and urgency. Uh, cause like, it's not urgent, but really it is. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, it's been the thing in the back of my mind for a, a while and I just need to act on it. So, yeah. Amazing. I love it. Dude, I just thought about this. I feel like I have to ask you one more question uh, and I'm going to steal it from your show if I can remember <laughs> it exactly, but you know what it is. So oh, if I mess shit, it up, no. you could uh, tell us. Let, let's see if you could go back to, uh, go back to, to Ben Wallach like 15, 10, 15 years ago. Is there anything that you would, you would tell, tell him to do or not do? I believe that's basically the gist of the question. I just can't. Yeah. 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 Totally. That's totally the question. And you know, there's a couple things, but I guess the, the number one thing I would tell myself is just don't be afraid of doing your thing and being you, uh, kind of like what I answered about my podcast lesson is like, you know, don't be afraid of doing the things that you do and doing it well. And, and, you know, it's important to be humble, but also to, you know, know your strengths and, uh, just, just double down on that stuff and don't be afraid. Like, I don't know. I feel like fear and maybe it's perfectionism and stuff has been the enemy of of my good so just don't be afraid and just go for it you know i love it dude this has been so much fun do you want to share with people uh socials websites um the podcast is called secret sonics yeah um just let us know what what we can do to find you yeah thank you uh <laughs> just benwallach.com and uh socials at benwallach music on instagram that's probably the best place to connect with me and the podcast is at Secret Sonics, or I, I don't even know. Maybe it's at Secret Sonics Pod. I think it's at Secret Sonics on Instagram, uh, and anywhere you get your podcasts. So, you could, and there's links on my website as well. So, whatever, whatever works. And we'll have we'll have links in here for for you to go. Definitely uh, check out Ben's work and his podcast. I recommend the episode I was on, but I'm biased. It was a great episode. But, uh, they've all definitely start with that. <laughs> if you're coming from Progressions, that should obviously be your first episode. 
No doubt. <laughs> potentially, potentially. Um, but dude, this was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad we got to we got to hang out. This is I'm, um, I'm honored you had me we, on. We'll love, have to do this again. I love your podcast and uh, just keep at it, man. And um, it's a it's a privilege to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for uh, for being here. Totally. So that's it for episode 56. Thanks to Ben Wallach for coming on the show, and thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to leave a review for the show if you've been enjoying it, and more importantly, tell a friend if you hear something you think that they'd like. And on that note, I hope everybody has a great holiday season, and I'll see y'all at the top of the new year.